Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. We've got uh, Sabri Subi, recent shark of Australia's Shark Tank, uh, the new version. Uh, we're going to hear basically what he's seeing is working in the e-com space. Also, I'm curious to hear his take on up-and-coming brands, trends in the marketplace, but then also I want to talk about AI, how he's using it in his business, how he's working with other clients and what that looks like and what he's seeing is working in this space because it's growing so fast. Sabri, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? 
I got my start because I was uh, raised by a single parent mother in a small beach town, Byron Bay. Um, me and my sister watched my mum hold down three jobs to provide an incredible upbringing for me and my sister. And I knew that I wanted to bring money into the household. And I got my first job grinding peanut butter as a kid. And I knew I was getting paid $2.50 an hour at this health food store. And I found out very quickly that $2.50 wasn't going to really be able to do anything to help my mom. And that's when I started busking at a Sunday market. So I made 80 bucks my first weekend and brought that home, gave it to my mom. It was a very emotional moment. There was tears going down her face. And then I knew at that point that that money was going to be meaningful for her. And that was the first time that you could say I probably got bitten by that entrepreneurial bug, knowing that I could go work at a Sunday markets for a couple of hours and earn 80 bucks instead of earning $2.50 an hour. Um, and then fast forward, I got my first kind of real serious job in sales when I was 16. And I sucked really bad in the beginning. I figured the sales game out. And then I was a top salesperson um, and traveled the world doing sales for every type of product that you can imagine I have sold. And I was always the top salesperson there. And being on the front lines of business like that, being at the very, very tip of the spear and actually converting strangers into customers for businesses is what kind of made me fall down the rabbit hole of marketing, right? Because I was on the front lines doing the, the like arm to arm combat in selling. And then, you know, people were like, hey, you're really good at this. You should study marketing. I went, I came back to Australia studied marketing, realized that that's not what I wanted to do. Um, and in terms of the traditional sense of what I wanted to do. And I start, started up my first business over a college break over a summer. And basically that was selling water filters online. And I had to figure out how to do SEO and paid traffic and conversion rate optimization. And like, that was when I got bitten by digital marketing, so to speak. And since then, since the age of 22, I have run multiple businesses. I've run some businesses into the ground and had some failures. Um, I've sold some businesses and had some wins and some exits as well. Um, and at all of those businesses, I was always tasked with the number one problem that all businesses face, which is how do we get more customers? Um, and that was the thing that I always did. And then I realized, you know, I had some e-commerce businesses. I'd read the four hour work week and kind of caught the four hour fever and, and, and was like, hey, I can just like run these businesses fully automated and just live in my pajamas, right? And I got very bored and very lonely doing that. And it wasn't something that really lit my soul up. Um, and I always felt like there was something missing when I was running those businesses. And I was still making good money and I was working minimum amount of hours, but I was like, is this it? Like, is this what I'm meant to do? This doesn't really sound like, you know, my idea of happiness and fulfillment. And that was when, you know, like realistically, like I would say the four hour work week for me was a bit of a mind virus because it kind of looked at work as this negative thing. Um, and it's not something that you want to pour everything in when really the work works on you, right? And doing the work and focusing on something that lights you up doesn't need to be something that you minimize the amount of time that you do in that thing. If you really enjoy that, that climb and that continual strive for just improving. So then I basically started 
King Kong, an agency helping solve that problem for all of these different businesses of how to get more customers um, and built a team. And that's kind of how I got the gig. Yeah. Incredible. So you've worked with a lot of different companies, helping them grow and scale. And what have you seen is working right now for, and also you've invested like your shark on Shark Tank, you've invested in, in e-commerce companies as well on Shark Tank. You've seen some of the companies that are coming through. Something you said to me offline, which I thought was very interesting, is the trend that you've noticed the amount of brands blowing up just from TikTok organic. Like that made my ears perk up when you said that. So, you know, if somebody's starting an e-commerce business now or their early stage, what do you suggest they start with when it comes to digital marketing? Yeah, it's a little bit controversial, my take on this. The the thing that I believe that any digital marketer should start with is not digital marketing. Um, it's actually storytelling. And, you know, in, if you have a look at the landscape of where we stand right now, TikTok has really come in and has kind of changed the game. Because when I got started, you know, in, in digital marketing many, many moons ago, you had to basically, there was two ways to get traffic. One was like organic traffic and writing blogs and doing SEO and manually outbound reaching people, doing link exchanges, all of that infographics. That was the free world of ads, right? Slow burn takes a while, very uncontrollable, but is very, very good as a long-term underpinning business strategy. Then there was the paid traffic world where you had to go out and buy eyeballs. And you need cash to do that, right? And then you needed to know the whole science of conversion to convert that and make it all profitable. Now we're in a day and age where you can literally be good at storytelling and blow up on TikTok, right? If you're good at grabbing people's attention with good hooks, you know how to retain that attention and then deliver on a promise, you can literally go from zero to hero in three months on TikTok. And there are countless of businesses that are great examples you know, of this, right? And so that has really leveled the playing field of if you want to get traffic, there's not just like, you know, the slow burn organic route or the quick paid route, right? And if anything, you know, you really want to focus on that storytelling component because what I have seen is if you can tell great stories, you're going to be good at organic right? You're going to be good at getting organic traffic, going to be good at YouTube videos, all of this whole organic engine. And then the organic engine is the best thing to fuel the paid engine. Because if you find out what's resonating in the algorithms for free on these organic platforms, if it's resonating organically, and then you take that and you find out what is the DNA within that, why is it working so well organically, and then you move that across to the paid side is where things blow up, right? Because it's already tested that ad organically, and then you're moving it over to the paid side. But none of that means anything, right? Running ads, building out funnels, none of that stuff means nothing if you don't know how to tell a good story, because that's all it is right? All it is, is communicating. And the oldest form of communication is storytelling. So if you want to have a good ad and a good hook, then you better know how to communicate and tell a story. If you want to write a good VSL, if you want to write good product descriptions, if you want to have good upsells, post-purchase upsells, cross-sells, you better know how to tell stories. If you want to have great ads, 
you got to know how to do storytelling. So that is the absolute like core foundational skill that will serve you for the rest of your life. It will serve you in your personal life in attracting, you know, a mate or getting a house or getting an upgrade in a hotel room. It will give you all of those things. And it's the it's the basically the leverage point that all of the stuff that you do on e-commerce sits upon, right? Who's the biggest e-commerce giant on planet Earth? It's Apple, right? Steve Jobs, the best storyteller when it comes to marketing that there is. If you really study his presentations, he is a master, an absolute master at it. And I'm not talking about like e-com chads that are doing, you know, a million, two million a month. Like we're talking about titans, like billion dollar companies like Apple that dwarf all of these companies through e-com. Look at what they focus on. Look at when they launch a product. Look at the stories that they tell. Mm. Okay, I love this, man. Really interesting. Didn't think you were going to say that. I thought you were going to say something around paid ads turning a dollar into three. So, okay, so let's let's. Let, I'd love to explore this further. So, how do you get better at storytelling? Like, what do you what do you look for? What is it? Just looking at creating content, seeing what works. Just use these organic platforms to start with and try and drive traffic to your site. Yeah, I'd say that the easiest way to to learn it and to get quick feedback would be these organic platforms, Instagram Reels, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, because you have to get a lot of reps in in order to to get good. And those platforms are easy to get a lot of reps in and to get a lot of feedback in. And no matter what, that those first 100 pieces of content that you put out are going to suck, right? For me, like the feedback mechanism that I used was cold calling, right? I used to make 300 to 600 cold calls a day in my first sales jobs. And that was like immediately, like the hook is the opening line that you say on the telephone, right? And it's like, that's the thing that you're testing. Okay, everyone's hanging up on me there. It is not interesting, right? So then you change up the hook and you keep changing the hook and the hook and then you get it. Oh, okay, this is what people like, right? And then you're like, you like you lose them in the lead-in. Like you see that they don't hang up on you immediately. They let you talk for 30 to 15 seconds and then they say they're too busy and they got to run. All right, that lead wasn't strong. And then you change that. So I would say that the best thing to do is to like look at, you know, creators on, on TikTok because that's just the number one organic channel in the world right now um, and have a look at like what are, you know, the the TikToks that are going viral on those things, you can get a Google Chrome extension called Sort and you can go to any TikTok page, click it and it will sort the most watched videos on that TikTok channel and then start to have a look at those and start to say, okay, what are they doing? Like how how often are they changing the narrative? Like what's going on in these things? Um, and then just looking at even YouTube creators, you know, obviously Mr. Beast is very popular. Um, having a look at like some of the things that, that he does and other storytellers are doing um, in in that space to really understand through views, right? That's the that's the marketplace telling you they're rewarding people with views for their ability to be able to grab and retain attention. Mm. And so, you sell on a physical product. You think you, the founder, should be face to camera on an iPhone creating content or using ambassadors or like 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 what yeah i like if i just take like for instance like two of my recent shark tank investments and both of those businesses have blown up purely as founder-led content creators 
as the start of that business. So like everyone's like, oh, it's not scalable. It has no like, you know, brand equity and all that. Man, bro, you don't have any fucking thing that you're going to sell in the beginning. Let's just be real, right? Yeah, once you as the founder can like get that content popping and then institutionalize it and then bring in then bring in other faces further down the track. Like, why are you thinking about selling? Because you're not even doing a hundred grand. Like, who cares? Like, I see these people talking about scale and sitting around. Oh, it's like, you want to have other people. It's like, man, you don't have anything right now. Like, you need to do any and all things that you need to do to get this party popping, Right. So don't talk about it's not willing to scale. You don't even need to scale yet. You're not even at 100K. You're not even at a million a month or whatever those things might be for that business. Um, but yeah, those two businesses are all all founder-faced. Um, and then the best thing to do after you've gotten that is then phase in other characters, other people from your business to come in and build it out so it's not just you. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I, I think that you know, the easiest and quickest way to get more reps in and feedback is not to be relying on anybody other than yourself to do it. Mm. And when, when do you start to add in the paid engine, right? Like, so by the time clients, by the time you guys are signing clients at King Kong, they've got product market fit somewhat. They've, you know, they've got sales coming in. Otherwise they wouldn't even be able to afford you guys. And they're coming to you guys really around paid or funnels and and that piece of the puzzle. I know one thing that you said to me a long time ago was it's all about the average order value and you guys won't take on an average a client unless they're X amount of average order value. Is it about 80 bucks and above? 70. 70. Okay. So when they come to you on the paid side, what do you find is working now in in this market? Because it is, it is fiercely competitive. Yeah, it really, really is. And most e-commerce businesses, they try to compete in the ads manager, right? And if they do that, they're going to have a very stressful life because that is just like, you know, the ads manager is not the thing that is going to be the the thing that your business lives and dies on. But that's what everybody thinks, right? They need to, you know, get another Facebook ads course just to keep their heart beating, right? Like they're just obsessed with like the latest ad strategy. And what you realistically want to do is be competing on economics, right? And then if you compete on economics and you have sound economics in your business, then it makes all the ad strategy and all of that stuff so much easier, right? So I'm going to give you those golden economics that you need in your e-commerce business, like in order to basically be able to scale aggressively. Okay. Right. Um, You need to basically have gross margins of at least 70%. If you do not have gross margins of 70%, you're never going to be able to scale hard because you just, the margins are too low to cover the customer acquisition cost right? Then the next thing is you got to have an average order value, an AOV of 70 bucks or more. Yep. Right. Um, So that your net dollar amount, right? Your 70% gross margins on the 70 bucks is enough to cover the CAC. Yep. Right. Otherwise, again, it's going to be a hard life. Um, And you need to have a healthy repeat purchase rate. Yep. On, on, on the actual product, either it's a consumable or the caveat is you've got to be selling something that has an AOV of $400 or more if you don't have a healthy repeat purchase order, right? Yep. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, you need to have, you know, a unique mechanism or a good brand story that you can leverage across your ads and across your funnel and everything that you have on offer. If you don't have those things and you've just got a gadget or a gizmo, it's over. You're never, ever going to be able to scale hard either. Yep. Because you're scaling something that people are, is, that is old and boring. There is not something that I call that is new weef, right? There's new, unique, easy, exciting, predictable, and huge. And unless someone looks at that and goes, yes, that is new, that is unique, that is exciting, then you're never going to be able to get their attention to be able to sell them in, in the first place. Yeah, man, this is awesome. And then the last part of it is that you got it's got you got to be selling something that's good and so that the reviews and the the word of mouth grows over time and then fuels in that conversion engine on the back end right because like in e-commerce the two biggest variables that are going to move the needle the most is price and social proof right they're the two levers that you really want that that like if you're split testing you know an e-commerce product or a site and you're doing conversion rate optimization there's nothing that you can do like simplifying the checkout, all of that stuff that's going to move the needle more than price. That is the number, that is the, the most leverage that you can get. However, we, we obviously want to have the, the price as high as we possibly can, right? And the AOV and the ROAS as high as possible as well. So the other part of that is like, you know, you look at how many people add products to cart and don't check out, Right. Um, and a big part of that is that they get unsure, they get cold feet, or if you're charging shipping, which you shouldn't be doing, um, that are all, they're all things that hold back. It's like the invisible hand that kills conversions. Um, and the way that you, you get around a lot of that as well is having lots of reviews and lots of social proof that you can use across the whole funnel and ads as well. Yeah. Wow. All right. This is gold, man. Thank you for sharing. A few things I've got to unpack. The first thing was if you're charging for shipping, you shouldn't be doing. What do you mean by that? Well, yeah, like it's like we're living in a day and age where like, you know, I think it's like 51% of Americans have an Amazon Prime account. They don't, they don't pay for shipping, right? So our homeboy Jeff Bezos has set like the standard of like you don't pay shipping, right? And it's like, they have so much brand trust and equity in the marketplace and they don't charge shipping if you're a Prime member, right? So how can you charge shipping when you don't have nowhere near as much trust? Like, it's like, you know, people don't want to pay for shipping. Like if anything, just burden that cost and, and absorb it in the cost of the product, but don't have a hidden surprise on the checkout of like, yeah, we're going to charge you or put your postcode in and we're going to charge you. Like just work out what the blended cost of it is and factor it into your shipping, factor it into the actual price of your product so you can slam free shipping everywhere. Mm. And you've seen from numerous split tests that, that you, you get a better outcome from your experience. Yes. Okay. You talked about healthy repeat purchase rate. Can we put some numbers on that? 
No, because it varies dependent on like the category of business that they're operating operating in, right? It's like if you're having a protein powder, you're going to have an, an insanely high repeat purchase rate versus somebody that might be doing like teeth whitening or maybe skincare products or, you know, some kind of lotion or it's sunscreen or whatnot or it's clothing. So it does vary. But what I would suggest that you know, the viewer does do is have a look at the category that they operate in and have a look at what is the benchmark for a repeat purchase rate in that industry that they operate in because there's lots of e-commerce that's publicly available around this and just to make sure that you're 10% higher than the standard. Yep. Okay. And when it comes to paid ads across, you know, all your clients, where do you see most of the spend going? Is it still Facebook? I know Google search has made a big resurgence. A lot of people spend there now as well. Um, TikTok is, you know, I don't really hear that many stories of people doing really well with TikTok paid ads. Where, Where do you find what's working now? Yeah, it's still for all the flack that they get, it's still meta, it's still Facebook, it's still that suite. They are the 800 pound in the gorilla in the room. Um, Google Shopping and all of those things are great. Um, You want to have a look at the landscape that you operate in on Google and have a look at like who are the people that are running shopping ads, who are the people that are running text ads, does my price, is my price able to compete with these people Um, and how do you kind of, what's that little entry point into the market on that, right? And let's just say that you do have a good entry point and your product is good and it sells and the conversion rate is there. Wonderful. Get to a 90%, like a 90% um, impression share on your ads, meaning that nine out of 10 times when people search for those keywords that you appear on Google, right? But then the reality of it is, is in any given market, that is just you're limited by the volume of people that are searching for that, right? And the real opportunity to scale and blow up for most businesses is being able to master interruption-based marketing, right? Where they're pushing a message in front of a market like Facebook ads, like YouTube, like TikTok, where they're not necessarily looking for it, but you're so good at storytelling that you can grab their attention, agitate a problem they didn't even know that they had, and then basically make a compelling offer to them to get them to buy, right? Because you're not limited then by the number of people that are jumping onto Google and searching for those things. Because the average... CTR on a Google ad is around five and a half percent in today's day and age. Meaning, you know, if there's a hundred thousand people searching for what it is that you've got, um, and for a lot of products, there isn't a hundred thousand searches, then you only get 5,000 of those hundred thousand, right? And that becomes like a challenge. And it's also, you're competing in a place where everybody's prices are visible in the get-go. Um, and they're already pre-framed. That traffic is pre-framed, right? And because Google Ads has the most amount of dumb money on it because it was the first ad platform. And what people do is they're very stupid, unfortunately. And they basically, the lever that they pull because they don't know how to do marketing and conversion rate optimization properly, they, they, they pull the easiest lever, which is price right? And then they just basically, it becomes the race to the bottom. And so they kind of wreck that little marketplace of traffic 
by dirtying it by just pulling down their price or they do the other thing, which is they're so unsophisticated that they just spend more money to get more traffic and to just outbid people, right? So then they end up selling like shittier products to be able to afford to be able to pay that much to get the click. And then because they keep bringing the price down, they keep on needing to make the product shitter and shitter and shitter, right? Um, so there are marketplaces for those things, but it's typically not in the brand building space of like building D2C brands. Yeah, and building a brand's where it's at, right? Like I know dropshipping can work as a lifestyle business and stuff like that, but the the real – if you're going to build a business, you want to – an e-commerce business, you want to build a brand. 100%. Okay, so I have to ask you like, you know, you've done incredible with your ads, Right. A lot of people have seen your ads and and you keep upping the game, upping the game, upping the game. What advice would you have to anybody in the earliest stages that can't effectively afford the high production value? Like, like what like do you have a formula when it comes to your ads uh, that that you could share or anything that people should be thinking about when it comes to having ads that that really just can scale and convert? Yeah, I think that like the some of the best performing and I, like disproportionately the highest converting ads are low production ads, right? They are shot on the iPhone and edited ads, right? So like don't let that be a barrier. I just got the new iPhone, right? The camera on this thing is just ridiculous. Like it's it's so insane. Um, you know, I one of my the, the the other sharks on Shark Tank, Jane Lou who runs Shopo, like I went over to her office um, recently to be on her podcast. And even when we were shooting Shark Tank, she had her like her media crew come mm. and they don't have any cameras. They all shoot on the iPhone. They shoot the whole eye. They shoot the whole podcast on the iPhone and they just put stands like their whole thing is pure iPhone and very native. Right. And they're crushing it. So it's like, that that is the world now like even a lot of the brands like a lot of huge brands out of the states like it's like they shoot all on the iphone because that's the native platform it was i i read some stats some crazy stat the other day it's like 90 percent of all content that people consume is shot on the iphone or on a smartphone because if you think about it, like you look at Instagram photos, most of those are taken on, 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 on a phone, right? TikTok, most of those are taken on a phone. Like most of the actual overall consumption of like, the, in, you take the total number of media that they consume is, is really from a phone, right? So the first rule of like native advertising and Facebook ads is a native advertising platform. TikTok is even more native than Facebook because its ad platform is not been around for as long um, is to not make your ad look like an ad right um, so a lot of the times if it is high production then it does look like an ad right but then you know you could say oh well that's like you know a little bit hypocritical because your ad subbury are pretty high production right and and they look pretty good 
I, the first thing that I do, you know, the first rule of marketing is to zig while everybody zags. And because the space that I am is proliferated through with gurus who basically don't have money and need to pretend like they have money is that they usually shoot on like low budget webcams or dirty VSLs or they shoot on their iPhone and it just looks ghetto right? And that's the market. That's where I'm competing with. So if I went native for my ads, I would just blend in like these guys, right? And I don't want to blend in, right? So I go through the laborious, time-consuming, capital-intensive side of making high-production ads because I want to be doing, if I want a different outcome, I have to do what other people aren't doing, right? Where it's like, if you are in a skincare business, most of the people don't do native native, right? It's like, if you look at the big picture, you're going up against like the L'Oreal's and these big high production outfits, right? And that's where it's like a more real rustic video from an iPhone is going to feel a lot more authentic to that market for an acne cream than, you know, a, a, a massive company in that space, like proactive with like a full on high production ad with celebrities and Kendall Jenner and stuff in it, right? So, and that's why like Kylie Cosmetics and and, and whatnot has done so well. It's like all of those launches are pretty done, pretty much in the early days were done through her iPhone, right? So the thing to come back to your initial question, that's the landscape and that's the kind of my overall mental model around it. And then in terms of like the, the specifics, I think the best place to go again right now is TikTok. Because the amount of organic content that is spreading that you can analyze is just so much. It's infinite. Like it's crazy. There's like 1.6 billion users on it now. And it's not like Facebook where you log in there and it's friends from high school. It's some news article or some trash, right? It's like the algorithm is much more sophisticated on TikTok. That's why everyone's trying to copy it with reels and shorts and all of these things. It's like an arms race. Um, and you can go in there and find things that are working very, very well right? And you want to have a look at the hooks that are doing really, really well on this platform. Um, and then you want to model the, the highest performing organic hooks for your ads, right? So basically like to share a few of what that, those are, right? Is like you, if you spend any time on TikTok, these will look familiar, right? You'll need to try this. This product is going crazy on TikTok, right? Um, and then it would be like, you know, I've just discovered this, right? Or I saw the, I've, if you've been seeing this all over TikTok, right? Or I'm going to blow your mind. You won't believe what I'm about to tell you, right? Or like, like there's just so many lists of organic hooks in that place. Why are, like, why am I the only pe person that's talking about X, right? And you just basically insert your brand and your story into those and you start to see the DNA of like, okay, you know, you, you start mid-sentence in because it's just like immediately get into the heat of the action, that's how TikTok is. It's not like, you know, they call it like the millennial pause. Have you seen this thing? No. So <laughs> all of these Gen Zers are making fun of our age group being millennials, 
by saying that we do this stupid thing called the millennial pause, which is we get the iPhone out. Yes. And before we start recording, there is a one second pause. They hit the record. Hi, guys. Right. That's called the millennial pause. Right. And they find it absolutely hilarious that we would waste the first one second of the hook with nothing in it. Where if you look at how they do it, it's as soon as they start recording, they do this. They're like, all right, today, guys. And then they just literally press. They already are talking before it's recording, right? Ah. And so there's this thing called like the Gen C shuffle where it's like they're recording as they're putting the phone down to start recording. So there's already movement and dynamicness happening in the shot to retain your attention. Um, so I think that if you study a lot of all that stuff that's doing really, really well organically, um, the stuff that I have seen work best for our clients is taking their best organic post and then amplifying it with paid ads. Nothing beats that. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. Well, man, this has been incredible. Uh, We have to talk about AI, right? I, I know that you're always looking ahead. You're a planner. You're very focused though. So I know you won't be too distracted, but you, I'm sure, like, must be using it in some way, shape or form. So what tools are you using now in your business and then also as a founder to 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 be a better founder like when it comes to AI? Yeah. So there's I've got a couple of hacks um that that I use. So like I look at it in like two different points. I look at it as consumption and I look at it as production. Right. So on the consumption standpoint, um, there are a bunch of great tools that are out there for basically consuming the best of content very quickly, i.e. like if you're everyone's been in this scenario, you're trying to find the answer to something on YouTube. And you open up the video and it's like, yeah, good day, it's Ken and I'm here to show you this. And then it's like, and I want to thank our sponsor and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, bro, just get to it, man. And you're like on the scrub, I'm trying to find where the action starts and shit. And it's just like long, it's like a, an eight minute video for 30 seconds of knowledge, right? So there are tools out there, but none of them are perfect. The best thing that I've found is that you, you're, for instance, wanting to find the answer to something or you're wanting to consume something is you go to YouTube, you go to captions, you click toggle without timestamps, you copy that whole transcript of the YouTube video, and then you put it into chat GPT and you say, give me the five bullet point summaries of what's discussed in this video. And you can consume 30 minutes of content in 30 seconds, right? And then you immediately just get the answer that it is that you need. 
right? So that's a, a great way to get information quickly. Um, you know, obviously like YouTube is like a, I mean, sorry, Google is like a sewage swamp, right? When it comes to getting information now, because there's all these affiliate links and people plug in Amazon products. It's just like, it's just, you just can't get the information that you want anymore because everyone's just gone completely ham on SEO um, and you don't get the best information, right? It's so it's like, if you're looking for noise canceling headphones and you jump on a Google and you type in noise, best noise canceling headphones, it's like some SEO geek that's just optimized the page up to wazoo. Every link's an affiliate link to an Amazon product. And you don't even really know what's good. Like you leave that and you don't, you're just more confused. You don't even really know. And it's like going to places like TikTok and typing in best noise cancelling headphones is going to get you better information, right? Or asking chat GPT will typically give you better information now than Google would. So I look at it from the consumption side of how do I get answers to my questions quicker than I can other way. But then when it comes to production, which is what your audience will probably be interested in, um, it's really is a game changer. I was definitely skeptical at first and I was like, there's no way that right now it's going to be able to outperform like an A-class copywriter. And I have spent several months really deep in it. Like I, I've been in it really, really deep, I'd say for the last nine months, like spending hours on it every single day. And it's like anything, the inputs get you the outputs. So like if you want like great outputs for chat GPT, you have to give it great inputs, right? Most people. So let's talk about the ways to use AI to basically be a better marketer and to get more customers and to scale your e-commerce business. Everybody that runs a significant amount of paid ads knows, knows that the game is won in the creative. It's not done in the media buying, right? That's not where the game is won. So then the constraint of most paid ad platforms or teams becomes the creative, right? It, it becomes being able to get enough creative out. So what we've found works best is you find like, you know, winning headlines that you write, that a human being writes, and then you basically give that to ChatGPT or to an AI platform because there's multiple of them and none of them are all perfect. It's a hybrid of them all. And then you'd say like, write me 20 different variations of this. Write me, write me 20 variations of this headlines that is directed specifically at 25-year-old women. Write one that's written for 45-year-old women. Give me a lead-in copy of this. Do this, do that. Here are my five highest performing Facebook ads, right? And... I want you to change these. I want this to be a story lead. I want you to agitate the problem and make it more visceral. I want you to tell me the problems that this person would tell their counselor, but they wouldn't even tell their partner about, right? And you start to really unearth some data, right? Or giving it, exporting a whole bunch of Google reviews and or Amazon reviews and saying, tell me the three most um, you know, biggest benefits that people experience from this? What are the three drawbacks that people have? And then you take them and then you feed them into your ads because basically like whenever you run an ad, you're creating a hypothesis of what you believe that market is going to resonate with. And the quicker that you can shorten the feedback loop between that hypothesis and what reality of it is, 
the quicker that you get to what I call bullseye market hit, where you're hitting the bullseye of that market with a hammer, right? And it takes time if you're just a one-man army or just one copywriter to get there, right? And everyone's like, oh, people, you know, AI is going to replace all these human beings. No, AI is not going to be replacing human beings. The humans that use AI are the people that are going to be replacing human beings, right? And so you don't complain and say, oh, that shovel is like, you know, taking a person's job when they were digging with a stick in the ground or that tractor or heavy earthy machinery is replacing people that used to be in coal mines digging by hands or with pitchforks, right? It's the person now that's in there that's getting a hundred times leverage on their time, but there's still a human being that is driving that thing to unearth all of that stuff, right? So it's the same thing with, with ads. It says AI gives you the ability just to test so many different hypotheses and just really navigate to what that bullseye of the market is that you physically couldn't do with just human beings alone unless you raised huge amounts of venture debt. Mm. So you're using ChatGPT, not Bard. Correct. And you're basically using it for creative brainstorming just just to get stuff going, right? Yes. Yeah, so I, I approach it in a, in a number of different ways. Um, I start with the basis of what every good ad begins with, um, which is the part of the iceberg that sits below the surface that no one sees, but it's just so solely responsibly by why any ad does well. And it's in the research, right? The game is one in the research. So I use it to do what I call 4D market research, where I literally get it to act as like a, for, like a, a forensic detective and a McKinsey analyst that I have hired or Bain and company analyst that I have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to. Um, and then I tell it that its life is dependent on getting me the most accurate information. And it only has a certain amount of time to get that information. Otherwise, both its life and my life will be in jeopardy. Um, and I go and I get incredible amounts of data and analysis of exactly what this market is going through. Um, and you can use things like Bard, where Bard is better than, you know, ChatGPT in a lot of instances where it indexes web pages and it has access to the internet. So that's where like doing audits on, on reviews and product reviews um, and forums and Reddit and everything is really great. It's like having an army of just, you know, McKinsey analysts just going out there and doing all this legwork for you. Um, and then I get all of that legwork and then I start to feed that into the machine. And most people, this is how most people use AI. I want you to act as a world-class copywriter. Write me a high-converting Facebook ad for this skincare product. These are the selling benefits. This is the call to action. Add emojis and a strong call to action. Dog shit, right? Utter dog shit. And then they look at the copy and then they're like, yeah, this isn't very good copy. Yeah, this isn't as very, this is in no way near as good as an A-level or a B-level copywriter. And for a lot of the times they're true, right? But that's not the AI's fault. That's your fault because you gave it shit, right? And you expected it to produce diamonds for you, right? Where it's like you want to give it diamonds 
right? And it just goes out there and just grows more and more and more of those diamonds. And, you know, a lot of my prompts are like a thousand words. Thousand words? A thousand words just for the prompt alone, right? And it just gives you the most ridiculous outputs ever that can even beat a lot of A-level stuff. Not all of it, but there's a 10, 10 to 20% of the copy that it produces could beat the best copywriters in the world. Yeah, wow. And so you're using these internally for your own ads, these practices, but also for your clients now too? Yeah, so yeah, we, we, we do. We leverage a lot of it um, because like my whole ethos is like I'm trying to put myself out of business. I don't want anybody else putting me out of business. I am trying to put myself out of business, right? And if I can get my clients 10 times the output of what I would be able to do if I was just using human beings and 100x the output to any other agencies in the space, then my clients are going to be getting disproportionate results to anybody. And I like to arm them to the teeth with the sharpest machinery and weaponry that there is out there. And I use myself as the guinea pig to do that. Yep. Love it. So... You've been playing around this and you've now, you believe, got it to a point where it, it outconverts some of your best stuff, but not always. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Any other hacks you got for us? Well, that's the best stuff you got. Look, I, I predominantly like to look at the fundamentals that aren't going to change, right? We can talk about ad strategies and like campaign structures and all of that stuff. But that is like a red herring. That is not the thing that is going to serve the audience forever, right? Where it's like if you, the stuff that I spoke about like today, research, understanding storytelling, this stuff is going to work in 10 years from now, right? So instead of spending all your time and energy on something that has a very small half-life, right? Like Facebook ads a year ago, two years ago is entirely different to what it is now. Google ads is a hundred percent different. So that means all the hours that you invested two years ago on Facebook ads, all of those skills that you acquired, not all of them, the bulk of them, the half-life is over. You've had to retool everything, right? So you don't get compound interest on it because the half-life is, is, is low, where it's like persuasion, storytelling, communication, market research, all of these things, they're not going away. So it's like, if you really understand those things and you're going to be in this business building game for many, many years, if you master that now, everything that you master now, you're going to be able to use that in the years to come and compound right? And if you're not looking back at your ability to tell stories and communicate and put out content and write ads from two years ago, if it doesn't embarrass you, then your rate of improvement isn't high enough, right? Like the subree of today would beat the living shit out of subree two years ago. That guy would have no chance. I would submit him in 30 seconds, right? He's done. So that is the attitude that you need to have. And you need to be focusing on those long games of like what isn't going to change. So you can just keep on getting compounding. You know, we spoke at the start of this about VSLs. It's like, this is probably like the 30th VSL that I've made, right? 
And it's the fundamentals, it's the basics. Because things like that, like a VSL is not a shiny object syndrome. It's something that's not going to be changed. Like video consumption is here to stay. It's only getting better. It's only getting more. It's only getting easier to consume. So if you just keep on banging on that thing and get better at it, then what you're putting out in two years is going to be a lot better than what you're doing now. And you're going to get a disproportionate output. Yeah, I love it, man. So what... So... When it comes to, I guess, AI and and founders, anyone watching this, where do they kind of, I guess, start? Because it's it can be quite overwhelming. It can. I think the first thing to understand is do not be in denial to think that this is like a fad. This is not a fad. I can confirm that right now from the own results that I'm seeing within my business, this is not a fad. Like this is here for the long term, right? Um, so that is the first thing. And then the best thing to do is to just jump in head first and start playing around and mucking around with things, right? And creating your own lattice work of prompts that you keep in a Google doc that you try and you refine and you try and you refine. There's a lot of people on TikTok, YouTube and whatnot that are putting out, oh, here are my best prompts or this is what you need for this. It's good to look at, right? And it's good, but you need to understand how to engineer prompts yourself to get the best output moving forward. It's not just about the band-aid solution of all oh, this is the best prompt for a Facebook ad you need to understand and it's only by like really going back and forth and playing around back and forth playing around back and forth right and that conversation might be several hours with chat GPT and then you finally arrive at something that works and then you just ask it you say take this whole conversation and write me one prompt to arrive here with one prompt mm. And then you go, you get that prompt, you stick it in your little bank. And then the next time you need to come in, you've got leverage on all that time that you spent. Most people spend way too much time trying to find the perfect prompts rather than spending the time on just developing and understanding how they work. So just take the most menial tasks that you do right now, pasting an email in there and saying, respond to this email, right? And then it might be like, respond to this email in the tone of Oprah Winfrey, right? And then it might be like, include a story, put a joke in the PS, right? And then you start to like, oh, I'm getting different inputs on this. And that's the only way that you can do it. Like you're not going to not feel overwhelmed by looking around, sitting it and just thinking about it, right? Worrying is like a rocking chair. It keeps you occupied, but takes you nowhere. You just need to get into the thing, start playing around with it. So then you're not scared of it and you're not dubious of it. And you start to see how powerful it is. Yeah. Awesome, man. Look, this has been incredible. We have to work towards wrapping up conscious of time. Anything that you wanted to share that I haven't asked you any questions just to our community on any value or anything at all that uh, we can wrap with. Spend 80% of your time 
on how do you increase your average order value and 20% of your time on how you can reduce your customer acquisition cost. Most people have that inverted. They spend 80% of their time trying to get the cheapest CPA in Facebook's ad manager and getting the cheapest cost to acquire a customer that they can. When your average order value in, and your LTV are the thing that dictate how much you can spend to acquire a customer. The game isn't to spend the least to acquire a customer. It's to make the most of each customer. And never, ever get that twisted. Don't let any of these gurus take you down some deserted path into no man's land, right? Think about that and just think about, I first of all need to have an incredible product that spreads, that gets word of mouth. So people buy it more and they tell their friends about it. And that increases my LTV, my lifetime value of a customer, right? That is the long-term game, right? Then once you have a very high LTV, you still need to have a good day one AOV, right? Because that is the thing that gives you the ability to go out there and buy traffic without digging yourself into a financial trough to then recoup that money back through the LTV. So the game is to have the highest AOV possible. So you have the highest day one ROAS that you can get, right? So you want to focus on that then because that's the constraint. The constraint isn't, oh, we're spending too much to acquire a customer. You wouldn't be, because that's all relative to how much you make off a customer. So spend a lot of time on thinking about that. And that again comes down to storytelling. Do you have a shitty basic ball Shopify product description with 150 characters in it? Or do you have a very compelling benefit-driven headline, good story-based copy, lots of social proof, lots of content on there that answers all of the objections, FAQs, cross-sells, down-sells, upsells, reviews, so that you have a very high conversion rate, higher AOV, higher day one ROAS. And then you're going out there with people that have, with drop shippers that have zero, like the wafer thin margins and that can have their maximum allowable CPAs like 20 bucks, but you can afford 80 bucks. You just crush these people, right? And they're obsessed of the new ad strategies, but you're obsessed with the real long-term game that puts you in a place where you can afford to spend that kind of money. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, look, thank you so much. This has been just an absolute whirlwind of gold that you've unpacked across unit economics, how to think about running ads, how to create content, how to do storytelling, and then also AI, chat, GPT, prompts. So thank you so much, brother. Um, last question, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Check me out on YouTube at Subri Subi. All right, done. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problems. Thanks for having me on. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. 
These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.